0: where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week, we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the healthcare wrap.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for joining us this week. On the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you'll be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of this movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies to stay ahead of the curve in your marketing operations and technology. This is episode number 137. We're now in season four, which is all about digital innovation and career guidance. One resource we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health content network. This is an influential thought leadership platform that currently includes 25 podcasts and video series. In fact, one of my favorite series on Shift.Health is The Resilience Journey. This series was created for everyone who is struggling with an unexpected job change, a derailed career plan, or unfulfilling work. Join me as I uncover the unexpected moments in the career journeys of admirable leaders by digging into the moments in their careers that we don't often hear about. The first season is free and available on demand, so go subscribe and check that out. So here's what's going to go down today. We've got the flavor of the week about how we have to stop designing for the naysayers. Then speaking of the resilience journey, the rest of today's program is taken from the second episode of that series. You'll hear my exclusive interview with Robert Rose. Yes, that Robert Rose. The one who, if you're one of the world's biggest brands and you want to do cool, amazing things with your content strategy, your content marketing, your customer experience, you call that Robert. What I enjoyed the most from speaking with Robert in this episode was learning what his former life as a musician, his English literature degree, and his quest to find the right platform all have to do with him developing career resilience. I think you'll enjoy learning how he discovered that it's better to market where you're going, not where you are. And how he describes resilience as not bouncing back, but bouncing forward. He'll also point out that all the innovative things we ever hear about anywhere were created by people who aren't any smarter than you or me. They just went out and did it. All right, let's dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go.
0: Flavor of the week.
1: Stop designing for the naysayers. Has this ever happened to you? You get a spark. It starts as an ember, a thought that maybe crossed your mind, but it seems like it could be a game changer. It's something that could make life better for you, for the people around you, for your industry and for the world. So you start fanning that ember into a flame. You start developing it into an idea. The idea becomes a thing that you're ready to create. A piece of content, maybe. A new business concept or a piece of art. You start running it by people and the feedback is good. So good, in fact, that you know you're onto something. It could even be something big. And then it happens. You think about that guy. You know, the one who's going to see your announcement about this new awesome thing and immediately retweet to their legion of pithy followers to tell them that your awesome thing, well, it isn't that awesome. In fact, if it was up to them, they would do it totally differently. And suddenly you find yourself pouring water on that flame and wondering why you even started trying. We have to stop designing for the naysayers. Every single person who has ever created anything valuable in this life, from t-shirts to Teslas, has had to bypass the haters. Not just once the thing is done, but also while they're creating it. Trying to design something by thinking of how to upset the fewest number of people is the quickest way for potentially game-changing ideas to die. We have to create greatness, and then we have to ship it. And then we have to not look back or worry about what the trolls or naysayers are going to say. Because haters are gonna hate no matter what. Anyone who's attempted to create or design anything meaningful knows that. The naysayers will always be there. They're intent on saying something negative no matter what. They've already made up their mind and nothing you do or say will change that. So don't give up your ideas because you think people won't like them. That's probably the biggest indicator that you're actually onto something. And don't keep them to yourself. Ship them. Share them. That's how change happens. And that's the flavor of the week. I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest this week and I'm going to try a little bit of a new introduction because with me today is the man who would definitely sign a franchise tag offer if the Cowboys offered it to him, Mr. Robert Rose.
2: How are you? Yeah, how are you, my friend? Yes. And the answer to that question is, yes, I would absolutely sign the franchise tag. I, I'm perfectly comfortable with $35 million. That would be just fine with me.
1: I had a feeling there, you know, the, the, <laughs> loyal, the team loyalty combined with the money there. So I just had a feeling you, you would say yeah. yes to that.
2: I have often offered my coaching services to the Dallas Cowboys, but sadly, they have, they have refused them all. Well, I should say they haven't responded to any of them. So I'm taking that <laughs> as a refusal.
1: I appreciate the uh, clarification there. That's uh we wouldn't want our audience to get the wrong idea. No, know? not at all. Yes, yes, because let's face it, when when people actually uh get that response, uh they usually do reply to you, you know, when 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 uh it must be like the email inbox or something is like not being monitored or something.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking. I'm 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 thinking there's some I must be landing in the spam folder or something. Yeah, there's something there's something awry there. Yeah, because of course they would respond if they saw it was me. Definitely, yeah.
1: No question there. So for sure. Well, well, my goodness. So, Robert, uh, we're going to talk about the journey of resilience. Meaning, careers in marketing, especially, are are not for the most part a linear path. <laughs> they are not. Oh, yeah, good. That's exactly what I expected to do when I got out of school, or when I, you know, when I started early on in this career. I have yet to find that person who everything just was laid out the way they thought. And I believe that's the case for you in terms of that it was not. A, B, C, D, E, and now we just go along that path that, that you had envisioned all along. But the path you've taken is very, very interesting. And I've learned a lot from it as you've shared on, on this old marketing and in your books and in your blog. And everywhere else, uh, there's just a lot of little insights along the way. And, and that's why I wanted to dig in with you today. And I think maybe the genesis of it is, is how the content advisory was founded. That wasn't just a, yeah, but now I have like, a, like there's a no risk situation, a no brainer. It sounded like there was a lot of thought that went into that. So let's start there in terms of like how that formed your career since then.
2: Sure. I mean, well, you know, I mean, as... You're probably aware. I mean, I started, you know, I moved out from university with an English lit degree, which basically gave me, you know, sort of two choices. I could teach Chaucer or I could get into marketing. (laughs) And I will tell you that marketing pays a little better. Um, I actually moved to Los Angeles from Dallas. um, So my affinity for the Cowboys does come with a little bit of, uh, you know, bona fides. But I started as a musician and I wanted to be a musician in the worst way and really found out that you know marketing actually pays rent. So I ended up getting into marketing pretty early in the, in the mid-90s and went through the whole dot-com boom and all of that, but wound up in 2008, 2009, just as many of us did in marketing jobs. I was the CMO of a startup software company and uh, we were doing enterprise software and growing fairly well. You know, we were doing we were doing okay. It's actually where I discovered how to do content marketing. It's where I met Joe. And as he was forming Content Marketing Institute, and I was sort of getting on board with him and working with him on helping get that into an idea, I decided that it was time to go out on my own. And much to the dismay of my wife and my friends who said, are you completely crazy? This is 2008, 2009. This is, you know, again, we were right in the midst of One of the worst financial crises that we've faced since the Great Depression. And and here I was looking to hang up my own shingle. And really, that transition was sort of alongside with Joe as he began Content Marketing Institute. I subsequently, you know, sort of partnered with Joe as the chief strategy officer for CMI. But really, the the Content Advisory, as a consulting, education, and research company, was born in 2009 when I, you know, sort of went out on my own, hung out my own shingle, and started taking on my own clients. And it was right there in the midst of this uh, very, you know, very interesting time. Let's put it that way.
1: Uh, interesting to say the least. So let's dig into that a little bit in terms of like, what what were you seeing that other people weren't? And and what was it like early on? I'm sure it wasn't all, uh, needless to say, it wasn't all roses early on.
2: No, I mean, I did have a bit of luck in the sense that when I left my job as CMO, I basically built in sort of a, let's call it an exit, you know, sort of runway. Um, I think that was one of the key things there was to not just sort of cut things off at the past, but to rather say, hey, listen, I'm going to leave and I'm going to give myself, you know, three months was what I gave myself basically of, you know, part-time. So I'll make myself available on contract part-time to them to sort of, one, give them a runway, which they wanted and needed and, and give myself a runway, which I, so they became really my first client as it were. And, you know, I don't think I saw anything, particularly, you know, more clearly than anybody else did. You know, I think in 2008, 2009, we were, you know, we were at the beginning of social media. Everybody was all a flutter around, you know, MySpace dying and Twitter growing and Facebook growing. And the idea of social media marketing was becoming a thing. And certainly I was enamored with and really, you know, taken by content marketing, which, with Joe and I having these discussions, you know, sort of over dinner, we were finding that there was a real hunger and thirst for from a consulting perspective. And so my sort of tipping point, if you will, was both my dissatisfaction with the job that I had, but but two, my ability to look and see: hey, there's a couple of companies here where I can help them through this, right? I, I can find a client. There's one client there. Now, I ended up doing everything but content marketing in the early days, right? So, to pay rent, I was doing SEO, I was helping with email, I was building websites for some companies. I was, if you went and looked at my website, it wasn't anything like that, right? You know, content advisory in those days was quite simply content strategy, content marketing strategy. This is what I was marketing. And then, what I was actually doing to pay rent was very much executional, just to make sure that I could keep momentum going and keep clients going. And slowly and surely, I started to get more and more clients that were hiring me for the thing that I was marketing rather than the thing that I could actually do. And that started just just transition over time. The all-in moment for me was, quite frankly, looking and talking with Joe and seeing that he was going all-in with CMI. And, and at one point, and I literally had this conversation with my wife, I said, I want to go all-in on this content marketing strategy thing. I think we can make a thing of it. And she was like, all right, let's do it. Let's actually go all in on it and, and see if we can make a thing out of it. And I'll never forget one of my mentors that I really looked to at the time, you know, because I was scared to death. And he said, you know, I had dinner with him and I said, what's your advice for me? And he said, my advice is very simple. He said, can you get a job? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, right now, are you confident that you can actually get a job? Like, whether it's flipping burgers or whatever, can you get a job that would pay your rent and, and keep you surviving? I said, yeah, I can get a job. And he said, then you have nothing to be afraid of. He said, your bandwidth now is completely open. Your bandwidth of choice is completely open. Because if this doesn't work, then get a job. He said, but right now, go fail at this if you're going to fail or go succeed at this if you're going to succeed. And that was sort of the moment for me to say, Yeah. I can do this with no, you know, no worries of of failing. That's
1: a point I feel like a lot of people they get to it and they don't know how to even kind of push through that part of the all-in moment, the moment of what happens if I do fail, you know, and and you know, can I live with that and can I push through that? And the the part where you talked about you did see some opportunity somewhere where you knew you could do something different. There was some dissatisfaction with the current situation. And you looked at it and said, "Okay, there, there's something that got you to that all-in moment and through it." And you just said, "This is this is going to be okay." And I think there there's some really interesting parts to get people to that point these days. There are millions of people unemployed now. There are millions more underemployed or unfulfilled at the very least, and at least wondering how do they get to that point? How do they even understand like where where that is? What's what's that first point? You know, I'm no different. I know I know so many people who who have asked that. I've always wanted to go out on my own. You know, I've always wanted to try something else. Or even if it's not entrepreneurship, if it's at least something I do want, you know, I'm not happy with where I am right now. I want to try something different, but I am but I feel a little paralyzed. And I don't know what that next step is. So walk us through that. Like, I, like, how, how do you even take that, that first step towards something more fulfilling?
2: Sure. Well, for me, it was a bit of the... You know, I had started with the startup company in 2000 and basically, you know, had left my... I was a VP of strategy for an ad agency and was you know doing all manner of all that kind of stuff in the late 2000s building big websites and web strategies and blah 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 all that stuff that everybody was doing in in the early 2000s to to get people on the web and you know in those days you could throw a rock and hit a client you know that needed a website right so you you know basically you <laughs> built a lot of websites and what happened was is that the the company that i ended up joining was a startup company and i joined with them and was there 8 years Building that company, two rounds of venture funding the whole the whole nine yards, and I quite frankly i wasn 't suited for it i wasn 't that good at it, which meant that basically I got it to a certain point, and then I was plateauing you know the company was still doing fine, but I was plateauing as a, from a satisfaction, so the thing that was sort of gnawing at me every night as I would drive home from work was I want to go out on my own, but i don 't even know what that looks like i don 't I don't even know what, you know, am I a marketing strategy guy? You know, am I going to start my own agency? I and mean, what am I going to do? Right? What what is it I'm actually going to? You know, do I want to hire a bunch of people? Do I want to go get money? Do I, what does that even look? I, I had no clue. And what sort of put it into perspective for me was I started talking with people that I knew that were out on their own and had been out on their own to get their advice. And one of the things that they kept telling me over and over again was, if there's something that you want to do. Like basically build your own job, build the job that you want to do. And then the key for me anyway, was find a platform that will let you do it. And so the two things that sort of came together for me were one, content marketing sort of appeared as something that I believed in. I had made it work. I knew how to be a practitioner in it. I knew how to build a team that could actually do it. I was meeting with Joe with Content Marketing Institute, and as they were getting going, so I could help them. I knew how to help them, but I wasn't going to get paid for that. But I could also get you know clients because Joe would tell me, hey, listen, I've got companies calling me and asking me about this. I don't know what to tell them. I, can I just send them to you? And so I said, okay, that's interesting, but there's going to be like one client, like two clients. That's not going to be enough to pay my rent. And so, and something that I absolutely believe in is market where you're going, not where you are. And that is an, an incredibly important lesson that I learned, which was when I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to actually take that idea. It was easy for me to go to a bunch of agencies that I knew and a bunch of old clients that I had and, and basically get enough gigs to pay the rent. I could do that. I could get email jobs i could get an seo job here i knew how to do i could get a i took one retainer for a client that you know i was doing paid media on google all stuff i hated doing but what it enabled me to do was build myself a runway that i could actually start to build my platform on content marketing institute to pull in the clients that i really wanted to work with which was of course the content marketing strategy stuff And, you know, it was one client, and then it was two. And then slowly, what I did was I pushed down the level of other stuff that I was doing on a day-to-day basis and just made room for the, you know, the content marketing strategy clients. There was a lot of credit card debt involved in that, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of failure, a lot of late nights, you know, making my personal brand and blogging and you know, doing all the things that we all see the busy work, you know, <laughs> a la Gary Vaynerchuk that you have to do to get sort of your name out there as a leader in this space. But ultimately, that moment for me was a dissatisfaction of saying, I don't like my life much right now working as the lead, you know, head of marketing in this startup company. I just don't dig it. So there's that famous Jim Carrey, the actor quote, where he, you know, he talks about his dad basically getting laid off from a job that he was in for, you know, whatever, 50 years. And he's saying, you know, you can get fired from a job that you hate, right? And so that was it for me. And so I said, you know, if I'm going to go fail at something, at least I want to fail at something that I love doing. Because I can always go find work. I can go find work. What I can't find without going out and proactively doing it is something that I dig doing every day. That's interesting because there, a part of this journey, this
1: wasn't automatically from. Okay, now, now I'm out of this situation that I wasn't digging so much. Now I'm into this like this pure romanticized, uh, awesome, <laughs> everything there. So you had to push through that at some point. You had to recognize when you're talking about the those initial clients you had. Yeah, it was SEO, it was paid media, it was it was things that you didn't. Those weren't the things that you wanted to quit this job to go do these things full time. There was an in-between period. And I don't hear that talked about that much from other people, from those who have gone out on their own. But it does seem like that's pretty common. Like there's a significant period where you you got to pay the rent still and you're working towards bringing in those clients that are doing the things that you want to do full time. So how did you push through that and know that like, you had to have some goal in there somewhere of, at some point, I'm going to have fewer clients of these kinds of things that I don't want to do as much and here's my plan to get more clients that i like
2: it's where i see many of the my colleagues if you will that don't make it quite frankly falling into the trap which is it would have been really easy for me to fall into the trap of you know doing seo i know how to do it doing sem i know how to do it doing the building websites you know building blogs you know writing i could have leaned on that forever and quite frankly filled my calendar filled with you know those tasks getting paid at a very linear sort of hourly rate if you will on those tasks and at some point maybe hiring somebody who can do some of the minor stuff and I could have built an agency right and in fact I considered doing that at one at one point what kept me going was really the idea that I wanted to do something bigger I wanted to be you know I was trying to market where I really wanted to go and and as I Started to build a bit of a reputation that I kind of knew what I was talking about on this content marketing stuff. The inquiries that started to come in, even just the conversations I was having, whether or not they were paid or not, started to be bigger, right? They started to be bigger conversations and more interesting conversations, quite frankly. And then we got a gig, right? Then I got a gig with a company. Joe and I did it together, you know, in partnership with a large company doing their content marketing strategy. And I was like, this is, I love this. And the hardest part was growing up and being able to say, I'm willing to take a little bit less of that, you know, task oriented stuff, or I'm willing to work a little bit later into the night or work on my Saturdays or whatever to get that crap done so that I can pay rent. While this other stuff is starting to come in that wasn't paying that great in the beginning, because nobody knew how, you know, content marketing strategy, how much should I pay for that? Well, not much when I was asking for it, because I was really wanting to do it. And slowly working my way up to raising my prices as I started to work with more and more and more companies and starting to rebalance that thing. And it was hard. It took me two years to do that. And so over the course of those two years, I was able to rebalance what I was doing so that I was actually doing more of the work that I wanted to do and ultimately just eliminate all the stuff that I didn't want to do. Nice. I like
1: that, that part of this journey because you're recognizing a lot of different things. Just the general, there wasn't a step in there that really sounded that easy. There wasn't a step in there that all sounded like it went according to plan, but you still had a plan. You still had a direction. You were still pushing forward and you were you were making adjustments as you went. And you mentioned that at one point there was you were able to find a platform or platforms that helped you build that brand to to attract those bigger clients. What role has personal branding and platforms that you've been able to build and your audience played in that? Because talking to, building audiences is is one thing I've always keyed into uh, what you share.
2: Yeah, it's a pro and a con, I'll tell you. What I mean by build a platform or find a platform is one of my, and this is absolutely a lucky break, which was I met Joe and he and I got along very well. The key there was, look, I'm no sales guy. I ain't going to make a bunch of cold calls. I'm not good. I'm horrible at selling pretty much. You know, so that was a real gap for me. A real challenge for me was new client acquisition. Where was I going to go? My idea, quite frankly, just because it felt easier, was to go both, by the way, on the task-oriented stuff, the more tactical stuff, the SEO, the email optimization, the website building, you know, analytics measurement, all that stuff that I was doing. I just went to agencies and I went, listen, you're going to have gigs that are too big for you or that you need extra help with. I'm here. I'll be your freelance guy, right? I'll come in wearing your t-shirt, your hat, just hire me. And that worked. You know, I had relationships with probably eight or nine agencies that would, you know, keep me relatively fed. But it was the positioning with my idea of, of becoming chief strategy officer as well as sort of the you know sort of thought leadership guy at content marketing institute that started to build my you know and making time for that was huge so in the early days like i didn't have a blog in the early days i blogged everywhere else right i blogged for anybody out there who would actually have an audience and let me sort of Espouse my theories on content marketing. So I blogged for marketing profs and for Content Marketing Institute and for you know a bunch of digital magazines that don't exist anymore. And basically, really just tried to build my reputation, social media as much as I could. And I didn't really even have time to build my own. You know, I mean, I had a website and I would post some stuff on my blog. But I, you know, I didn't. I didn't start a podcast. I didn't really build a, a center of gravity which was, by the the way, one of my early mistakes was not to curate all that stuff in my own owned media property. So I was everywhere and nowhere in the early days. And so if I had to do it over again, I would have done both. I would have basically spread my wonderful content out to all these places, but I would have also put it in a central place so that when people saw me, they saw, oh, he's also writing here and writing there. Now, again, this is, 2010 2011 before you know this was <laughs> this was still early days as it were in that but then the big thing for me was finding places that would bring me business that one to many idea so that i didn't really have to sell that much that was the idea of finding my platform and ultimately i could reduce the number of agencies you know those eight agencies became five then three then one and then Ultimately, it just became CMI. I was all in with, with CMI over time. The con to that is, and this is still a challenge today, is that even when in the beginning of the show, you said content advisory, anybody who's known me for a number of years goes, content advisory, what the hell is that? right? They, they don't know still. I haven't spent 10 years building a brand. And so I'm still struggling a bit with that because in many ways, I am the CMI guy. I am you know, just... Robert Rose I am an author there are pros and cons to living under the umbrella of a platform I have found that the business benefits of being under a platform far outweigh the celebrity idea of being sort of you know your own sort of superstar brand
1: that's a conversation that I think uh, could could have a lot more a lot more discussion in marketing circles because you do have this romanticized influencer you know role out there that that people I, I think some aspire to, and they don't they don't realize the difference between that what you're talking about the platform and the brand, the influence the ability to generate business as a result of wherever you're putting it versus oh it's he's the brand, she's the brand you know as long as people understand their goals, I feel like. We've seen plenty of people who can do both. If they are not equating this with this, it's like you know trying to do different types of exercise and thinking you know, this one you know strength building is going to cause me to lose weight where those goals sometimes conflict in your personal workout and I, I see a lot of comparisons there to this. So I think it's, just, it's important just to think about those goals and it sounds like those were things that absolutely drove you because you, you had in mind the thing at the end of the day building a business, you know got to pay the rent, got have some big things in store.
2: Yeah. It's a balance, right? I mean, it's just, it's being willing to, and I say this and truly with humility, because for me, it was truly about the work. The early days was, were, and in many ways are, are still, you know, about getting more, you know, building a business, building my business rather than building my celebrity. And to me, that meant doing the actual work and letting the work speak rather than letting me be the necessarily the mouthpiece for it. And so that balance really helped because for me, it was always about how do I how do I make a living, right? I got to a point where I could start to afford marketing myself, mark personal branding, letting a little more of me, my personality, you know, shine a little bit, you know, and making a little, you know, in all honesty making it a little more about me, <laughs> let's be quite honest, because there's an ego thing there that yeah, it's a really nice thing you know, to have people dig what you do. But in the end, really, the work is what pays. Anything you do that makes you more famous in that moment or makes you more recognizable in that moment only serves the moment. The work is what ultimately provides the long-term value for your career.
1: I totally agree with that. I'm glad we got to that point because those are definitely parts of this journey. And then one of the other big parts of the journey this year, of course, is the whole COVID 19 situation. So, for marketers, I've heard every stat out, you know, under the sun, I've heard them uh, everything from marketing teams are going to be living with, uh, you know 70 to 80% of their budget and staffing of what they've had before but then I've heard all sorts of other conflicting numbers right so I don't think anyone knows for sure other than there's a lot of fluctuation going on in team sizes and the types of work that companies are actually out there hiring marketers to do so how does that affect someone who is contemplating some of these pieces of their own career path right now or their, their path just got blown up this year. What's unique in our field in marketing communications, journalism, content, production, media? What are some of those unique decision points in our industry that are being affected by the pandemic?
2: Well, the only thing unique is the context of the situation right now. The pivot point or the crisis moment is really no different than any other crisis moment that we may have faced, right? Which is, you know, we faced a crisis moment after the the recession in the mid-70s. We faced a crisis moment after the stock market crash in the mid-80s. We f- faced a crisis moment in the dot-com boom and bust. We faced a crisis moment after 9-11. We faced a crisis moment after 2008 and 2009. And in each of those moments, there were opportunities for small businesses big businesses marketing you know communications whatever your field is and those opportunities are truly what you know i mean one of my heroes of course Clayton Christensen would call you know the a disruption right a disruption in the marketplace that is an opportunity for those who want to take advantage of it and i think right now certainly the context is unique right we are in the middle of an election year we are in the middle of you know a pandemic and we're in the middle of a of an awakening i think when it comes to racial equality so all of those things taken in concert with one another as we also deal with the simultaneous economic benefits of that and risks in that as we also look at things like climate change and globalization and all of the other things and this you know, we can argue that it's an acceleration of change that was already starting to happen. And this is just a, an acceleration moment. And so when I, as someone who is still, by the way, in the same position I was in 2008 and 2009, no different. I'm still a guy running a little business that's trying to figure stuff out. I don't have any more time than anybody else on the planet. I certainly don't have any more smarts than anybody else on the planet. What I do have is the ability to sort of take a pause, look, and see where I need to change. And that's the key, is it's, we often get into this mentality in resilience of saying, okay, I'm just going to wait for things to bounce back, right? When things bounce back, I'll be good to go. No. Resilience doesn't mean bouncing back. Resilience means bouncing forward. What are you going to do to be able to change, full stop? Not change into what, but just change. And start making those changes now and finding the places that give you joy, finding the places that give you money, finding the places that give you the ability to keep moving forward in this period. And boy, there's going to be a ton of innovation that comes out of this time period. 18 months from now, two years from now, the level of innovation that we're going to see that came during this period is going to be astounding. And I want to be part of that, and I'm sure many of your audience will want to be part of that too. Hundred
1: percent, and and first and foremost, it makes me want to uh, shuffle the books here a little bit because I had a uh, had a little Clayton Christensen uh, right right there. there can't, you can't see innovators you got a little, right
2: there. Uh, yeah, yeah. A little
1: innovators dilemma. So here we'll we'll, uh, we'll slide it down. We'll just slide that down a little bit because
2: uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's, it's 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 the bookshelf right there. Um, Robert, it's been amazing. Any final thoughts uh, for those who are who are just wrestling with any part of the, this journey themselves? Words you'd like to share with them?
2: Well, I guess the only thing I would share is, is that there's an old Steve Jobs video that you can find on YouTube. And he talks about the idea of innovating and, and it's not necessarily in downtimes or being resilient. But one, one of the things he says is, one of the things that you have to realize is that all of the things that you see out there all the innovative and cool things out there were built by people that were no smarter than you are. And all they did was do it. And so it's an easy sort of platitude to have to say, yeah, just get out there and innovate, get out there and do, you know, and your comment earlier, which was really appropriate to say, many people are out there going, "Eh, I kind of want to do this, but I'm just not sure when the right moment is right. When, when should I do this? Because, I don't like my job. I'm uncomfortable where I am or I want to reboot my business and do something different or whatever it is that you find yourself doing. There's this moment of saying, I'll do it at some point. And you keep pushing that rock down the hill to say, okay, another day, another day. I'm not sure when, but there will be a day when it hits me. That day is not coming. I just will tell you that day is not coming. You have to force that day to come and you have to say, now, it will never be a good time. It's like when, you know, there's that classic fun thing. that's like, you know, when's the right time to have a baby or when's the right time to get married? There is no perfect time. It will always be the worst time to pick, right? Whether you're doing it now in the middle of a pandemic or whether you're going to do it, you know, two years from now, guess what? In 2022 or 2023, there will be something else. There will be something else that we're dealing with. And so, it will never be the perfect time. And so, the question is how do you do what you want to do in your life now what changes do you need to make make it now make today now
1: i appreciate it thanks for just giving giving us uh, some some light here some some inspiration and to show us that this journey really does take us to places that that we've never dreamed before the journey of our careers uh, we're each living this life and figuring it out one day at a time and i appreciate you giving us some time here robert stay safe stay well and and keep up the amazing work
2: absolutely my pleasure thank you so much for having me on your show
1: thanks so much to Robert for sharing all of that and thank you for listening I hope you found some value in this conversation and if you did I hope you'll share this with your friends share it with your family share it with people you don't even know on the street but hey tell them hey yeah healthcare app that's something I listen to and you should too healthcare App is a member of the shift.health content network go check it out at shift.health it's podcasts and video series that are shifting the way healthcare is experienced so until next time keep marketing forward thanks and that's a wrap